We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everybody? Welcome in to the latest OBR Film Breakdown, Monday, February 27th. We have a great show for you today. A lot of, uh, of really good topics, uh, obviously, and then a great guest coming up here in just a bit. Before we jump to that uh, time with our guest today, just want to hit on uh, the news that broke last night. It was like a Sunday night uh, news dump almost, where the Browns uh, let out through Mary Kay Cabot and Mike Raffalo that they are doing a couple of important moves offensively that we have been thinking about, right? So we have wondered what the Browns were going to do with quarterback coach after Drew Petzing went to Arizona, and then also wondering if there was going to be some sort of older uh, mind or former head coach possibly, somebody of that nature to come in and uh, be sort of an offensive assistant. I think that that's sort of a role that people have been looking for the Browns to fill in some capacity on both sides, honestly. Uh, but we were unsure if we were going to get it. Well, we got it, right? We got Will Musgrave, uh, or Bill Musgrave, as uh, William is his first name. You get Bill Musgrave, who's been around the NFL for a significant amount of time. You know, you know like breaking in um, as a player in 1991 through 1998, stops in Dallas, San Francisco, Denver, and Indianapolis. And then as a coach, he was um, sort of all over, right? And he obviously focused on quarterbacks, as that's where his um, playing days uh, were involved. So, you know, you can track it all the way back. Started with 1997 with the Oakland Raiders as a quarterback coach, offensive assistant, offensive coordinator with the 98 Eagles, Panthers 99 through 2000 offensive coordinator and quarterbacks, then went to the college level to Virginia for two years, Jacksonville for two years as the OC quarterbacks coach in Jacksonville in 04, 05 quarterbacks in Washington, 06 through 10. This is football you and I don't remember very well at this point. The Atlanta Falcons quarterbacks, young Matt Ryan, then went to Minnesota. And this is where he started to know Kevin Stefanski, 2011 through 2013, Minnesota. Then went to Philadelphia as the quarterbacks coach in 2014 with the Eagles. Then the Raiders offensive coordinator, 15 and 16, where he had some brief stints of success with Derek Carr. 
Denver Broncos quarterback coach in 17, and then the Broncos offensive coordinator in 17 and 18, and then took 2019 off before going to Cal, where he's been, um, that's Cal Berkeley, the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach there for three full seasons. So that's where he's been. Um, a lot of Perkins Earhart stuff in his background, which we'll dive into on another podcast, but it's an offensive system you know, predicated on um, very specific play calling styles, a lot of weight on the quarterback, which could be, again, something that the Browns are moving toward. And if you go watch Cal, obviously – not a very talent-rich program. Um, as, as At this point, Musgrave would not have been in charge of much in, in terms of getting recruits in. A little bit he played into it, but not you know fully responsible for that. Not a great program. Uh, certainly not with, with, with Jack Plummer, the former Purdue backup, as their quarterback. They, have, they were fine. I mean, they, they did some things out of the gun, a lot of things out of the gun. They operated that way. And... You know, you kind of try to figure out what's the reasoning for this uh, association. What's the reasoning for this hire? Well, you're talking about a guy who's been around offensive football since '97 at the NFL level in some capacity. Obviously, spent two decades running offenses, helping quarterbacks. There is a lot of uh, you know experience here that, that matters, right? You know that helps. Certainly, as an offensive assistant, where you know, uh, Bill Musgrave's not going to move the needle a ton. He's not going to swing things from one direction to the other, but he can provide some insights on the way he was running the Cal offense, the gun stuff, um, how they're doing and operating different types of gun run game. And that could be a, a bit of a foreshadowing into what the Browns are going to try to do more of. Shotgun run game uh, varying up what I think was one of the more simplistic gun run game approaches in the NFL last year. And as I have, again, as many times have said, want this offense to evolve and be more gun-based and plus one the quarterback in the run game, create more advantages at the point of attack with RPO stuff, uh, You know, just create advantages through personnel that I think they're naturally there, uh, that, that points toward using things that Musgrave was using at Cal. So I have to imagine that's the mesh point, but again, it's really not worth going crazy about this you know, uh, this higher one way or the other, he's going to help. He's going to be around, but he's not going to move the needle. Even if it was Mike Zimmer or somebody of that nature, who's connected to Stefanski from Minnesota days, like it's not going to move the needle a ton. It's going to help. You can do some things to create uh, points of expertise that you can help the guys with staff with, but he's not going to be in charge of running a side of the ball or coaching up a position. He's there to help. He's there to provide insight, film study, game plan tips. Like that's the stuff he's going to do. So you might have wanted somebody better, and even I might have wanted somebody young and innovative. But that's hard. Like that position is hard to fill in late February with somebody young up and coming, and we wouldn't even know that guy was young and up and coming. You know, like if you're going to get somebody young, usually on the rare occasion you can get somebody that maybe is known for doing one thing or the other, but a young up and comer has to start somewhere. And those quality control or offensive assistant roles are usually, if they're a young coach, there's somebody maybe transitioning from college, et cetera, et cetera. You don't even know what they're going to do. And you wouldn't even think twice of it. The reason this gets overanalyzed is that it's tied to the Browns also announced through Mary Kay Cabot that well, the Browns didn't announce it. It, it, it leaked that drew, uh, sorry, Taking Drew Petzing's former role is Alex Van Pelt putting him back uh, coaching quarterbacks. Now, he's done this before, right? Petzing was a tight end coach in 21, and, and AVP was doing both roles. I would have liked them to get a or sorry, a quarterback coach connected to Deshaun a little bit more, his past, his experience. 
I don't love I'm not in love with either of these hires and I'm I'm not willing to just wear the orange and brown glasses and say they're home runs. I mean, Alex Van Pelt has had good stints as a quarterback coach, especially with Aaron Rodgers. But is this too much, right? Is is the is the dual rule too much for him to really help the way he needs to help? I don't know. This is we 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 have no idea. We have no idea what the true role of these guys are, what they're doing day to day, and whether the Van Pelt decision is bad. Who knows? Maybe Petzing was hurting more than helping. None of us really know. We're gonna let it play out. Would I have liked a different route to have gone here? Probably. But who am I to say that this isn't going to work out and they won't figure out how to run this offense the way they need to? That's kind of all I'll say about it. I don't think we need to go crazy about these decisions. You wanted them to get an older mind in there to help who's been around the league for a while. Maybe you wanted that to be a former head coach. That doesn't happen. Doesn't mean it's the end of the world. They did get a really experienced offensive mind who's doing some of the things I would like the Browns to do. have been pretty vocal about it on offense next year. So that might point in the right direction. And again, if if Deshaun Watson, Kevin Stefanski, and the group, uh, are, are, and Alex Van Pelt are happy with him being the quarterback coach in the dual rule, maybe getting another uh, unnecessary voice out of the quarterback room can work out. But maybe it won't. And maybe we'll look back on it and say he's hiring too many of his friends or former colleagues and that sort of, not maybe direct nepotism, but the tendency to hire those he knows well comes back to bite him. But for now, we can over-examine this. I just don't know that it's necessary or we're going to get anything truly revelationary out of it. Like, there's just, there's not much to to know here until maybe they give us some insight on how Van Pelt transitions back to quarterback coach or how Musgrave's going to handle his role. We'll certainly pay attention to that. The Browns have a huge announcement about coaches coming at some point. But that's what we know right now. Bill Musgrave, offensive assistant, and Alex Van Pelt going back to coach quarterbacks kind of in that dual role that he's already done here. So we'll see how Deshaun, who's highly speaks highly of AVP and Stefanski, how it all meshes to be seen, right? We'll get there. It's not the end of the world one way or the other. I would have preferred something different, but I'm just a guy behind a mic. So we'll see if it shakes out and works out well for them in a must-win 2023 season. We're going to get to our guest now. We're going to focus on the draft. And man, do we get some great insights from Dane Brugler of The Athletic. He writes The Beast, which is the best pre-draft guide out on the market. We're lucky to steal some of his time. Really pumped about that. We go into depth on a lot of positions. The draft overall. Um, only thing we didn't get to is safeties, which is um, a thing I'm bummed about because he had to really run to his next call at the end of this. So we end a little bit abruptly. But we got almost every position and a lot of fun prospects discussed here. So enjoy this uh, interview with Dane Brugler. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. 
Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Pumped to have Dane join the show. Dane, thanks for being here so much, man. Of course, anytime, man. Let's uh, let's do this. I want to get... I don't think that people like myself who are very team-specific do a great job of talking about the cohesiveness of the draft, like what the draft looks like top to bottom. Would you say that this draft is as deep as some of you have seen recently? Because I've seen some people say it's not. So what's your vibe on the depth of this draft? I, I think it's hard to put it in those broad terms. You have to do it really position by position um, and say, okay, well, this this position stretches a little bit where this one might not. I think we tend to look at the top of the draft a lot of times, uh, or at least, you know, most fans and say, oh, well, you know, where are the blue chippers? Are there, uh, you know, are these guys really top 10 picks? And uh, this draft, I don't think has a ton of those blue chippers. I think that there's two non-quarterbacks uh, talking about Jalen Carter and Will Anderson. And then I think there's a drop-off until a second tier. Um, you know, I think that, you know, and that second tier for me is Peter Skaronsky from Northwestern, uh, Christian Gonzalez, Oregon corner. Uh, you know, there, there's some good players, but I don't know that many would characterize them as being the quote unquote, you know, we like to throw around can't miss or, you know, and that's just, I, I, I think that sometimes, uh, you know, those lofty expectations are a little too much for some of these players. It just isn't a top heavy draft, but it's a really interesting quarterback draft. And then at certain positions, it does stretch. I think corner, it, it stretches quite a bit. Um, defensive line, I think this is a, a really good draft, especially on the edges where, you know, it's, uh, it, it's it, there's a lot of quality players uh, at every in every round. I, it, it's going to be something where you're going to feel like you get good players um, later on in the draft. Running backs really deep. Uh, wide receiver, not as top heavy as we've seen the past two years. But once you get on day two, there's some quality options. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's, it's really something you have to go position by position and really examine it. Did you have any trouble coming up with a top 100 or like enough, th- like first round graded guys? That's another kind of buzzy thing I've seen. That's like, people seem to say like, I can't find 32 and it's hard to say that there's 32 first round guys. I just, I just didn't know if that, that stuff struck you that you couldn't find like a lot of guys to put first round grades on. I mean, true first round grades. Yeah. I mean, I usually have around 20 first round grades every year this year. It's, it's maybe a little bit shorter than that, but you know, there's, if you're going to give one twos, you know, late ones, early twos to people, that's because it's hard to give just a a singular first round grade. I mean, I think you have to really break it up a little bit more because I think there's a lot of guys you could consider in that late one, early two window. Uh, A lot of guys in that early to mid two window, that are you could argue are deserving because maybe they're not 
uh, you know, multi-pro bowl type guys, but they're future starters. They're guys that are going to help your roster and help you win football games. So I, I think sometimes we just need to temper expectations for what you're going to get with the 28th pick. And, you know, I, I think that even, yeah, okay, a TJ Watt could go late first round, but more times than not, that late first round pick is going to be uh, someone that's going to be more of a, a solid starter than anything else. So I didn't have any trouble with the top 100. Uh, now, I, I there were some problems uh, towards the end of it where I hated leaving some guys out, uh, guys that I thought could definitely be in there. Um, but you know, it's, it's something that it's a process and, you know, it's, it's helpful to do these types of exercises because as you, you, you finish it, you put it out in the world and then you let it breathe and you go back to it and say, yeah, you know what? I'm reading my report on this guy. Perfect example, Cedric Tillman from Tennessee, the wide receiver. I'm reading my report and it's like, I'm, I'm, this guy reads like a second round pick at worst. Like he's, uh, you know, a, a, an outside starter in the NFL pretty quickly in his career, uh, wrote down names like Michael Pittman, Nico Collins as his uh, comp. And it's like, okay, why did I put him at 74? He needs to be a little bit higher than that. Um, so, you know, it's just it, that that happens as you try to, you know, it's hard for my purposes because I'm doing a top 100 without a specific culture in mind, without any scheme, uh, you know, thoughts in terms of what might fit, what might not. I'm just doing these general thoughts, general generalities, um, and, you know, for any type, type of team and scheme. So that, that makes it difficult as well. Let, let me ask you this. The Browns are heavy into age guardrails. I know not every organization is as strict about this stuff as others. When you, when you like make up some of your lists, are you completely ignoring age when you say a guy is 74th of your top 100 or do you tend to like value a little bit younger? I'm, I'm curious because obviously organizations think of it, but when you develop your draft analysis, does it sort of abstain from any age related thoughts? I think for the most part, age is overrated. Um, just because there are some athletes that are 23 years old and still have upside. They, they, they're still, they're growing. They're still, uh, especially growing as football players. Like you have to understand their background to, to know where, where are they, what have they been doing the first 22 years of their lives to get to this point where there are some 20 year olds there. They, they've hit their ceiling already. Like they're not getting any better. So I don't think that, uh, you know, age, youthful age is a, an indicator of, uh, upside. That's not always the case. Now, I still think age matters. I, I just think it's a little bit overrated. So, I mean, in in the draft guide, I have the ages for every single player. If, if, I, if I didn't think it mattered at all, I wouldn't include it, but it does matter. And so if I have two players that I grade almost identical and, you know, I'm looking for something to break them apart, I'll, I'll probably put the younger player first. Um, you know, I, I think that, that's, uh, that, that, that makes sense to do it that way. But I think as an, you know, I'm not going to bump up my, if I think a player is a mid third round pick on tape, I'm not going to bump him up to the late second just because he's 20 years old on draft day. Like that, that's, I don't think that's the right way to do it, but you know, some other teams uh, it might differ on that a little bit. It's just a fascinating thing because we, as you know, in the Browns corner are always trying to track mm-hmm. what is the history of Andrew Barry. And it's, it's very rigid that inside the top 75 to 100, he really doesn't delve into age 23. Now, I think that's got to start bending as their situation as a franchise has started to maneuver more of gearing up young players for a push into now we need guys who we know above all else can play. And I think you're obviously drafting guys who you think can play, but like if you're if you're gearing your thought to this guy's 22 instead of 23, I think you get into a little bit of a strange territory as a draft as a whole. Is this one, and this may be a question, Dane, you can't answer, but the COVID year 
We all talked about it. Everybody got that. It seems to me as I go through this, just me mocking and paying ridiculous amounts of attention to age. There are more older prospects in this one than I feel like I've noticed before. Is that, am I off on that? I just feel like that extra COVID year, a lot of guys really used it. Yeah, that's fair. And guys that usually would have left after their third year, maybe they stayed because they only played four games during that COVID year. So it, it just, maybe they just, it just felt incomplete. So they stayed for a fourth year as a redshirt sophomore or, or whatever. Um, I think that is fair. Yeah. There's, I mean, there, there's some guys, there's definitely some players in this draft that are under or are 20 years old that will be 20 years old on draft day. Uh, you know, I mentioned Christian Gonzalez, uh, one of my favorite players in the draft. He won't turn 21 until like the summer, like June. So there, there's, we still have some of these young guys, um, uh, Keely Ringo, another one, the cor- uh, Georgia corner, but for the most part, yeah, I think, you know, you look at it, there's a lot of guys that are, will be 22 years old, on draft day. And I think, I mean, you hit on it, like above all else, just get good players. Like I think in an ideal world, you're going to, you know, the players you draft are going to check every box where, you know, they're 21 or younger, or they hit all the thresholds and the testing numbers. Uh, You know, they have X amount of starts, Uh, you know, obviously the the tape grade is good, but sometimes they don't always hit that. And, you know, are, are you, going to not draft a corner because he ran a four, four, eight and not a four, four, two. Like he doesn't exactly hit uh, every criteria perfectly. Like, I don't, I don't think that's a reason not to draft a player. If the tape is really good and everything else, you know, looks good. It just maybe doesn't have the elite speed that you look for. So uh, in the testing, at least. So, you know, it, it's just, it's a data point. And I think understanding how to weigh each data point is a big part of this process and the conversation. Yeah, like paying particular attention to that from the Browns side is where they have shown an ability or not ability, a willingness to move off of some positional values and, you know, their JOK trade up in recent years. Like I just this year, more than any, I'm paying attention to ages to see if they come off of that historical stuff, Mm. because there's some really good 23, 24 year old guys in this draft. Let's let's shift gears a little bit and talk positions. So there's like five key positions I want to get your opinion on. You know, obviously these guys don't pick until 42. I highly doubt just based on sheer lack of capital, they're going to be moving up for anybody. So when you get to 42, I kind of want to comb through wide receiver first. They could obviously go out and trade for somebody. They could do whatever. But as we sit here, they're not good enough at wide receiver. And we know, we know they need some options. So you got your list. I've got your top 15, your most recent one up at the athletic. It's fantastic. Breaking down your top 15 by position. When you get to 42, I know you love Tyler Scott. You're the first person I heard talk about him. But, are you know, talk about Tyler a little bit and then just any other guys that you think that, that are – I guess what I'm looking for is the, the wide receiver group, you talked about it's not top-heavy, but the, the, the emphasis on the position feels like some guys are going to go early. Like they're still going to find a way to have three or four go into the first round possibly and then at least get snatched up early day two in front of Cleveland – so, like, who do you really think is going to be there and you're really drawn to them if they get to the Browns? It'll be really interesting because, you know, talking to uh, teams uh, and just scouts uh, throughout the fall and then, you know, last month at the Senior Bowl, things like that, they uh, they all kind of say the same thing, where this isn't a top-heavy receiver class. Like, we'll, you know, t- we'll be more than willing to wait till the second round, that type of thing. But when it push comes to shove and your team needs a playmaker – you know, I, I think that some teams will be just fine, you know, maybe reaching on a player you have a second round grade on in that back half of, of round one, because 
you know, if you're going to gamble on a guy, let's gamble on a, a, a possible firework, a, a, you know, a guy like Quick Johnston or a Zay Flowers or whoever it may be. So it will be really interesting which receiver, how many receivers are off the board in the first round? Um, you know, is it over under uh, three and a half? You know, I, that'll be interesting. Uh, last year we had six going to the top 25. So it, just how many go in the first round will be interesting. And then how many go in those first 10 picks in the second round? That'll be something to watch for. I, Tyler Scott's my guy, and it's not just because we were both born in Akron. Uh, this is a uh, this is a playmaker who reminds me so much of Tyler Lockett coming out, size wise, speed wise, the way they can win down the field. And Scott's background is so interesting because he was he was basically a running back in an, an option offense uh, at Norton High School, and you know wasn't a true wide receiver until he goes to Cincinnati. He's only a third year junior. So, you know, the experience isn't exactly there, but you watch his junior tape and you wouldn't be able to tell that he, you know, was a high school running back. The way he catches the football, he'll have some drops here or there, but he, he'll he go up and snatch the football. His routes and pacing are uh, pretty impressive uh, considering his experience. So, and, and then he's going to test uh, outstanding at the combine. Um, you know, I, I'm very eager to put his testing next to Lockett's uh, to see and just compare and contrast. Uh, Scott should be in the four threes. Um, the jump should be phenomenal. So, uh, you know, by the time it's all said and done, he might not even be an option there uh, for the Browns in the mid-second. Uh, but a big Tyler Scott fan. Uh, you know, Josh Downs from North Carolina is another one kind of in that range. will be interesting to see what he runs. I don't I don't know what he's going to run exactly, but his, his short area stuff should be really good. The verts, uh, the jumps with the vert and the broad. Uh, he, he's so sudden uh, in his movements and he catches the ball pretty well for a guy that's not very big. And so the size factor will be, if he's still available when the Browns are picking, the size factor will definitely be a, a big part of that. Um, I, Zay Flowers, maybe he's in that mix. Another guy that's not very big. If he was bigger, maybe we'd be talking about him as a first rounder, but you know, he's not a lock to go in the first 40 picks because of that size. Um, you know, so this receiver position, again, if, if they're available in that early to mid second round, is usually a reason behind it, you know, like George Pickens last year being available where he was, uh, with some of the issues, uh, with him, you know, I don't think the Steelers are uh, too mad that he did, but you know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out over the course of, of the next few years. Uh, you know, Sky Moore, uh, you know, we saw a little bit of him in KC this year, but you could tell he was still raw and, and, and figuring things out uh, as a rookie in the NFL. So, you know, there's there's a reason why some of these receivers are still available there in the mid-second. Let me ask you a couple quick questions on the group. So you have A.T. Perry as your eighth-ranked receiver out in front of Zay, Cedric, uh, Keishon Butte. I think that's interesting. I think a lot of people like him. You got him a little higher in front of some guys, I think. Uh, other people do not. And I'm curious, what do you like about A.T. Perry? Like, what's your convincing part of having him uh, as your eighth guy? Yeah, and, you know, I, I dropped him a little bit, my top 100. I mean, I, I dropped him more towards, um, you know, the mid-third round uh, when I kind of laid it out. It's always interesting when you do these, when you try to do these rankings and then you, like, you do positional rankings, then you do, like, a top 100 and you see how they slot. And so Perry did drop a little bit for me in that respect. Um, I But I, I, I love him as a a route runner. Uh, he's thinly built. And so, you know, you wish there was a little bit more meat on him, but he's really long. Uh, it, the way that he, he's such a smooth strider. Uh, so the way that he can attack uh, corners in different ways is uh, really impressive. Uh, he expands his route tree downfield. Um, his, uh, his 40 will be interesting at the combine. See what he runs. I, 
I, I worry a little bit that it won't be uh, it, it won't match up with where you usually draft a player like this. And so that that 40 be important to watch. But this is a guy that's a polished route runner. Uh, love the tempo that he plays with. Love the ball skills. Uh, he just he gives his quarterback a target uh, because of that that catch radius and because he is a, a really polished route runner. So you look at the last two years uh, in that offense, he was over a thousand yards each year at, to, combined for like 25, 26 touchdowns. So uh, productive. Uh, there, there's a lot to like about him. Just uh, but he is an older guy. I mean, he, he's someone that will be uh, 23 and a half uh, on draft weekend. And you know, obviously that, that might be an issue for a team like the Browns. Keishon Butte, obviously talented, supremely talented, but that can't be it. I mean, there's issues off the field with some of the stuff and the effort. Like, do you think this guy has what it takes to make? I know that there's actually been some, some interesting studies into, into maturity levels and how guys make it. I don't know if I totally buy that guys can grow up. It happens, but Mm -hmm. uh, like what's, what's his, it seems like from a talent perspective, he should be to the top of these things, but he's down on a lot of boards. Is it, is it just purely an off the field and, 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 and maturity concern for him? Yeah. I mean, it's consistency. Um, you know, back in the summer when I did my way too early, you know, top 50 in August, he was my top receiver, uh, because he has that type of ability for a guy that size, he has speed. Uh, the body control is outstanding. Uh, but it's just, he, his impact was very sporadic. He would disappear from games. There are some, you watch him on tape and some of these routes are just half effort. Um, and you just wonder what's really going on there. Like, is this, Guy just going through the motions at times. He, he just pick and choose when he wants to play. Um, you know, they had some some issues off the field. Nothing that's too alarming, but it's 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 immature stuff. It's stuff that you know you don't want out of a top fifty pick. Um, and so you know he he scares you. Uh, but I think when you you think about three years from now, he could be going to his first Pro Bowl or he could be on his third team. Neither of those outcomes would surprise me. Because he has the ability, it's just a matter of focus and you know applying himself. So hopefully we see him do it. I'd love to see him succeed. Uh, just it, it, don't feel as confident about that as some of these other guys. Parker Washington, young, like him a lot. But Marvin Mims, mm-hmm. he's certainly a guy. When you get into the one hundreds, that you're like, does he make it there? Do, is your vibe that he goes top one hundred? I'm interested in him if you have a comp for him because because he's got. He's got the smaller stature at five. I don't even know if he'll be five. I don't know if he measured in at five eleven. But like, I'm certainly interested in what he looks like at the NFL level because there's a lot to like there. And he really, for a for a not not a not a big body guy, he tracks the football and goes up and fights for it really well. Yeah, and I think if you're looking for that type of receiver, he will. He's he's what you want that vertical threat, the, the linear athlete. Um, but you know, you watch his, uh, everything going on there and the, the route tree just feels incomplete. You know, it, it's just an incomplete player, uh, as an underneath and intermediate, uh, uh, receiver, uh, you know, is how long until he's ready to run the full NFL route tree? Um, you know, so I, I that, that's a big question mark because you want him to be able to come in and, and hit the ground running, helping your team right away. And if you're looking for exclusively a vertical threat, uh, or a guy that can, you know, take a bubble screen and, and create something. I mean, it, it, I feel like people are listening to me talking, like picturing Anthony Schwartz in their head. Uh, you know, just a guy that has speed, has around here, <laughs> right? Uh, has vertical tracking skills, which you know, I think he, I don't know Anthony Schwartz necessarily had that, but he had pure no. speed. Mims has vertical tracking skills, has speed. Um, so you know, you like that straight line burner, but again, I, I think he's he's not a guy that has a ton of yak. Uh, or a guy that's going to create through contact. 
Um, you know, he, he's, he's got some spectacular catches, but then he'll drop some easier ones. Um, uh, just not a, uh, more, more of a deep threat than, uh, than anything else. And, he, and he's not just not very big. He's small. He's got a lean, uh, a lean body type, uh, not, doesn't play very physical. Uh, so, you know, if he is going to face press that that's going to be a, a big hurdle for him. So, and that's why Marvin Mims isn't a locked top 100 pick. He's more of a could go uh third round day two, but might not be a fit for what teams are looking for at that stage. And then, you know, he, he'd be good value once you get to the fourth. Switching over to edge rusher. This top 15 is deep, man. It is so deep. Like your 14th guy is Tuli Tuapoloto. And like, I could see him being gone in the second round. Like I, I just, uh-huh. I think that I'm looking at your top 14 now, Dylan Horton's interesting, could certainly see him too, but like your top 14 are all guys I could see going. Like the Browns need edge. They're going to need an edge. I, they could go sign one, but I certainly see them being a, a bit more interested free agency-wise in defensive tackles because of how hard it is to come in and play that position at the NFL level right away. doesn't mean they won't draft one, but I, I think they're going to lean toward uh, matching Miles with another edge to add. Uh, obviously, to 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 who they took last year in, in the group there because they're going to move on from Clowney, but Alex Wright's young developmental player. But this right. mesh of edge talent at 42 and potentially 98, we'll see if they maneuver. Like, man, at 42, like, let me ask you if a couple guys are going to be there. And this is just your pure hunch. Like, is mm-hmm. the Nolan Smith, BJ Ojolari group, like, do you think they end up getting out of, of the top 41 picks? Because those two guys are like where I'm sitting here saying, if you can get one of those, because they are spe- those are good players, man. I'm just curious if you think like your top six runs through Ojolari. Do you see yeah. six going before 42? Yeah. Okay. We'll break our hearts. Uh, well, but, no, I, I think I, I, <laughs> no, I think no. You're you're spot on. I think if you're the Browns, you're you're crossing your fingers and toes, hoping to see a guy like that at 42. And you know, like uh, in my top 100, Nolan Smith's 19, PJ Ojolari's 33. So, you know, I just, it, I, I find it hard to believe, but, you know, it's it's a crowded position. There's different types of pass rushers. Uh, you know, could a team prefer a Will McDonald over a B.J. Audulari because, uh, you know, one's, uh, you know, McDonald's is a, a little bit longer. He's a little bit freakier. So, uh, you know, betting on some of those high-end traits. Sure, that's possible. And so I think, yeah, there's going to be a lot of hoping if you're the Browns there at 42 uh, you know, wanting to see some of these guys and, you know, we'll talk about defensive tackles in a second, but it'll be the same thing with a guy like Mozzie Smith. So, you know, hoping just the right guy falls to you, but I mean, it, it's, there's enough pass rushers that you at least feel good about your plan B plan C, um, you know, and it'll be interesting who, how many pass rushers do go in the first 40 picks and then, you know, who's left, do they like the value there? Like I like, uh, Will McDonald it, from Iowa State, he's going to blow up the combine. It, it's it's going to be ridiculous how he tests uh, a former basketball player. But, but for a guy that's a fifth-year senior, the amount of – he just – he's very raw. And that's that scares you when you're talking about a 24-year-old who's a fifth-year senior and still figuring things out, especially in the run game. Um, you know, I, I – like personally, I, he's, I think he's going to go higher than I would draft him. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Browns feel the same way. Yeah, that one's a that I mean that name is particularly interesting coming out of the senior bowl. I, I'm curious of your bigger body types, like your two sixty or above. And like Anodike Ozoma's kind of two fifty five, two sixty, Derek Hall, those guys flow. I, I the the Titans did some fascinating things with Jim Schwartz with bigger edge bodies. So mm. 
I don't know if the Browns will be interested in trying to acquire those types. Those are sort of free agency, cheaper names like the Mario Edwards types that you could probably go get. But are any of the big bodies like standing out to you for them? Maybe like a Mike Morris or Thule yeah. or some of these guys. Like, is there one of those guys you really, really think is going to hit? And, and that would be probably more than likely a 42 or slight trade back, which I do think they're very interested in moving back and acquiring more capital. But of those bigger body guys, is there one that you really like? You mentioned Mike Morris. That one I think makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, he's he's relatively younger. Uh, you know, he's a, th- a, a fourth year junior coming out. I think he turns twenty two, uh, like right at draft weekend. So you know, he's right there on the cusp. Uh, but you know, he's he's two ninety and he should test fairly well. Uh, you know, I've, I don't, he's not the most uh, diverse with his pass rush attack. Uh, you know, I don't think there's a ton of nuance or savvy with what he's doing, but he's nimble footed. Uh, he's scheme diverse. You want to play him inside, outside. He's got a little bit of versatility. He's a sound run defender, uh, and and he'll convert a speed to power with that length. Uh, so, you know, there's, I, and if he's available in the third, that, that, that's a name that I think, you know, would be sticking out for the Browns as a realistic option. You talked about Mozzie Smith. You look at defensive tackle. And again, this is a, this is a weird group. Like there's the the opinions Mm. of some of these guys are all over the board. I want to ask you about two players in particular. The first is Mozzie, and you obviously talk about him, Feldman Freak. He's going to blow up the combine. There's no doubt about it. But there's then the lack of production. You know, people are always like, if he doesn't get a sack in college, how's that going to work out in the NFL? Are you fearful of some of the production scares of some of these guys? Or do you think that it's just like, hey, man, the traits are there. Sometimes sack stuff is a luck stat, you know, more than anything else. So I'm, I'm curious if you think that, like, he's your fourth guy you got him behind uh, and this could have moved so I'm, I'm looking at your 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 player rankings and it, like I said it could have moved since then but do you think what like long-term fit for him do you see a guy productive long career or do you see if he like you know if these these these, these traits don't pan out because the Browns need to hit man they've taken mm-hmm. Jordan Elliott they've taken Tommy Togiai and, and and they just haven't found an answer here they need a guy who they think he doesn't have to be impactful right away but between the Keanu Bentons and the Byron Youngs and the Colby Woodens, I know uh, I got another guy I'll ask you about in a second, but is there a guy that if they do pick at 42, which would be unexpected for them, I don't think they want to take a D tackle at 42, but they could like that 42, 98 range. Mozzie obviously stands out and I want your answer on him, but anyone else that you're really like, man, that's a good football player. If you can get him at that value. Yeah, Mozzie, I think, makes the most sense. Uh, he, he's a guy that, it, it, you, asked, you see what he was asked to do at Michigan. He's he's double teamed constantly in the middle of that line. I mean, he's not asked to be a penetrator. Um, so uh, the production stuff doesn't bother me at all. He, he's a stout run defender, uh, and he flashes pass rush potential. He, he, he plays with natural leverage. You see the body quickness, remarkable power. Uh, that'll be on full display at the Combine. So it's, I think it's more of a question is, is he there at 42? I, I, I mean, I, I, we're still early in this process, but I, I'd be surprised if he's available at pick 43, put it that way. Um, and you know, he, and he's a guy, look, he plays a lot of snaps. And so are there times where he takes a snap off here or there? Sure. Yeah. Um, but I think when it's all said and done, uh, you know, there's just a lot of teams that could use a player like this. And I don't, I don't know that he makes it to 42. We'll have to see time will tell. Uh, Gervon Dexter from, from Florida is another one who, is inconsistent, but man, there's so much ability in that body 
and what he can be at the next level with a couple with a little more grooming. Um, I don't know that you know it's going to take some patience, but I think if if a team's willing to be patient, Dexter could end up being a steal. Um, you know, if he ends up going somewhere in that mid to late second round, he makes some sense. You mentioned Keanu Benton who uh, another knows but has pass rush potential, did a nice job at the Senior Bowl in one-on-ones. So I like this defensive tackle class for the Browns. I think they'll have multiple options with uh, guys they could plug in there uh, if they want to go in that in the second round, or even if they do wait to the third. Um, you know, there's a chance one of these guys could fall to them. But I, I think that, you know, more than likely, a lot of these guys will be gone in the second. Two guys real quick. Uh, Kalijah Kansi, probably the most yeah. polarizing defensive player because of the size. I mean, you see six foot 275, 280, and everybody wants to say that. Oh, it's Aaron Donald, blah, blah. He's shooting up some draft boards, and I think he does do some really special pass rush things. But can he – the question is can he be an early down player? He's never going to anchor double teams, but may, can he be a split the double guy? Like, where do you fall on him? Some teams have like – and I know the data-driven sites are driving him way up the board, and he sits here at nine. And I again don't know if you've moved him since, but what, like, what, what are you afraid of with him? Yeah, he was thirty-five uh, on my top one hundred. I, 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 he's a guy that the more you watch, the more you just appreciate him because he's so quick and violent with his hands that he's able to make plays. He just he doesn't like to stay blocked, uh, and obviously that'll be tougher versus NFL competition. But uh, even in the run game, you see it. He, he likes to get off blocks because he's so quick. He uses that natural leverage. He's so violent. Uh, the get off, the agility, it, it's really impressive. He'll play in gaps. He'll be disruptive. Not on Aaron Donald's level as a prospect. We'll see what he weighs in at. Uh, I mean, Aaron Donald is 6'1". Kansi might not even be six foot. We'll see how that, you know, the, the official measurements of the combine will be big for him. But he's a starting NFL three technique. Um, I, I, I mean, he, he'll take his medicine uh, on early downs as a rookie, but I think he'll eventually figure it out. And if you take him in the top 40, I, I don't think you'll end up regretting it. His tape is wild. He has some some mm. some plays that no one else is making. We're one last guy, homegrown Ohio guy here, Carl Brooks. I know you highlighted him in this article. What do you like about Carl Brooks? Because I do think as far as an inside-out flexible type, he might draw the Browns' eye if he's there at 98 or 111. So just talk to us about Carl Brooks real quick from Bowling Green. A guy that was like a buck 80 uh, in high school and just, you know, lightly recruited, goes to BG. They play him as an edge rusher, and he's top three in Bowling Green history in sacks. Uh, he has the intangibles that you look for. Uh, you know, the coaches talk really highly about him. Um, and what he did this past year really kind of put himself on NFL radars. I don't know that he's a top 100 guy. He didn't make my top 100 and I really didn't consider him that highly. But I think once you get to day three, you're looking for a defensive lineman with that inside out experience. Uh, Carl Brooks, uh, he gives you that. So more of a rotational player than an NFL starter. Uh, but I think he's a guy you want to start him, uh, you know, as a, as a base D end, uh, he can do that. You want to play him on the inside he can do that as well. So I think he, he offers a little bit of versatility at uh, not a high price. Two quick positions before we go. Corner. I, the Browns have invested so much at outside corner, and they've they've done well. I mean, they've hit. I think they've hit three guys here. They're in a good spot. But they played. Obviously, they they moved uh, Greg Newsom inside, and I just didn't think it was a good fit. And I think Greg started to realize that by the end of the year. So I am drawn to guys who you think can slide inside and be nickel corners. So when I'm looking at the group, like your top 15 doesn't include a name that I'm really interested in. And, 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 and Hodges Tomlinson out of TCU. Like I'm just looking for guys who you think can shift inside. And it's so tough because you don't always know. And it's just a leap from, from 
college to the NFL where you're slinging into run fits and it's like, oh, I got to cover. Right. That's hard. Got that inside out. Guys can go either direction here. But I also have to you tell me to fit the C gap here. Like that stuff's tough. But I'm, I'm interested if you got some guys who if the Browns get to the mid round, you know, day three, you're talking fourth round area, fifth round area that you're like, man, that guy can move inside and be a pretty good corner. I really like DJ Turner from Michigan, and that doesn't really answer your question because I think he's going to go third uh, or even second. Uh, but I, I really like his athleticism, his speed, his toughness. Um, I, I like Hodges Tomlinson, but you know, just he's five seven and a half. That's hard so to overcome. Yeah. Uh, and he's a he's a flag magnet. He like he's a really physical player. He likes to show you that he's a lot tougher than he looks, and that doesn't always lead to good things, uh, you know, in coverage downfield. So that that does worry me. But if I, I, I if DJ Turner's available for me in the third round, I'd be jumping all over that. I think he's a natural fit inside. Um, I, I would like that quite a bit for the Browns. Dane, thanks for your time, man. We really, really appreciate you being here with us. Anytime. Take care, man. Hopefully you guys found that as insightful as I did. You know, always appreciate Dane's time, especially his input on the age guardrail. A lot of prospects, uh, especially like transitioning cornerbacks, um, some of those wide receivers that we're going to be paying close attention to after testing. It's a fun week coming up, Combine Week, where you learn so much about these players, what they can do athletically, how they fit age, and uh, not necessarily age, but how they fit athletic guardrails, what the RAS scores look like. And then we really start to hyper-focus on the full portfolio of how these guys look as uh, you know full draft candidates because you get every piece of information you need, the birth dates, the full age, the the tape obviously is already there, and then you get all this this athletic testing to to compare to their peers over across many years, and it's it's just a great time. And then you all of a sudden a couple of weeks later it's free agency and everything is rolling. So I wanted to get with Dane before the combine and then get with him kind of right really close to the draft to talk about things how they've shifted and how things are a bit more hyper focused. So it's nice of him to come on, especially for a team that's a you know, looking at pick forty two or not in the top thirty where it's a bit more fun for those guys to break down some of those first round things. And it's, uh, yeah, just really appreciate him coming on. So thanks guys for stopping by today. Great stuff. Continual draft and free agency coverage. Those mocks we always do are going to be found at the OBR. Check those out. And then we have free agent uh, study of Javon Hargrave uh, with our probability ranking that they would go after him. So check that out as well. We appreciate you being here. Thanks for stopping by. Have a great Monday. Go Browns.